Well, welcome again to City Life. As Nate and Anthony already said, and you heard in the video announcements, we're happy you're here. Happy you're here with us, worshiping, pursuing God together. Um, it's a it's an awesome season as a church. We uh, had our second anniversary as a campus last weekend, and as City Life as a whole, which has been doing ministry in Hampton Roads, it's been 12 years now. So the impact, the reach has been growing, and, and we're excited to be here in Suffolk. It's good to be back here in Suffolk. I don't know if it feels the same way. Newport News is awesome, but it's kind of like, man, this is home, which two years ago, this was, it was like, oh, we're still settling in, but two years in, man, this is home. I hope you guys feel the same way. But uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, and if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under your pews. Maybe you got the Version app, but your phone's at like 2%. There's Bibles under your pews. Fret not. But we're going to turn to John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. John 17, verses 13 through 26. We're going to read it, and then we're going to pray. But just to preface it as you turn there, again, John 17, it's, it's a prayer of Jesus Christ that's recorded in the Gospel of John, and it's Jesus towards the end of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, praying to God the Father. So when he addresses you in this prayer, he's praying to God the Father. And what's powerful is he's praying for himself, but he's also praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers. He's praying that the, for the church that would come. So what's powerful when you read this prayer is, in a way, he's praying for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And may, again, maybe this week was tough. Maybe you feel at a low point. Jesus is praying for you. It even says he intercedes at the, at the throne of God for us. Jesus prays and Jesus prayed in John 17. And it's a powerful prayer. And again, we're going to start in verse 13. So he says, now I am coming to you. And again, he's saying, essentially, I am coming to you, God the Father. I told them, my disciples, my followers, many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Again, he's praying for you and me. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. So they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord God, Jesus says right here, God, that you would continue to reveal yourself to those that follow after you and pursue you, Lord God. So I just pray tonight that even as we had worship and we may have encountered your presence, God, that here through your word, through your truth, God, which Jesus prayed would make us holy and sanctify us, Lord God. Let it do that tonight. God, let these words through your Holy Spirit change our hearts, transform our minds, and make us look more like Jesus Christ so we can glorify him today, tomorrow, and forever. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So it's a powerful passage we'll be digging into tonight. But again, last weekend was our 
uh, joint service, our anniversary service. It was an incredible night. It was a big night. It was a big moment for the church. And it was a big moment for some of you. It was your first time in Newport News, uh, experiencing the campus there that's also growing, also thriving. But then also tomorrow is a big day. Nate and Anthony kind of hit on it. The Super Bowl is tomorrow. Any Patriots fan here? I know we got a bunch of those. I've seen jerseys. Any Eagles fans here? Hey, okay. We got two, three. All right. I see you're still working on it, Roger. Not, not a Chargers fan yet. Still working on that. All right. Well, yeah, tomorrow's the Super Bowl, but I don't know if you know something bigger, much bigger is happening. When I say bigger, I mean literally bigger. I don't know if you've heard, but there's an asteroid called 2002AJ129, and it is at least 1,300 meters across. That's big enough to where if it hits a city, it'll obliterate that city. And maybe you're thinking, oh, okay, well, it might be on the other side of the world. They're saying, like, if that were to hit a city, it would kick up enough dust, debris, that it would, it would clog the atmosphere, crops would die. We'd have a mini ice age, right? And if that were to hit the water, maybe, like, okay, well, it'll hit the water. We're talking global tsunamis, right? So this asteroid has been coming at us. And, as, and, and luckily NASA, there's fear over there. NASA's been keeping track of it. They know whether it's going to hit us and plot twist or spoiler, it's not going to hit us. Tomorrow is actually the day that it's supposed to, quote unquote, pass us. I don't know what that looks like astronomically, but it's supposed to pass us tomorrow, Super Bowl Sunday. But as I read about this asteroid, I hear about this asteroid, I'm, I was raised, right, I'm a, born in the 80s, but I'm a 90s baby. When I hear about asteroids, and man, that might obliterate the earth, I think of Bruce Willis, right, Ben Affleck, Owen Wilson, uh, whoever else was on that crew, those, those drillers and miners that were going to go up there and save the world. That's what I think of. That's Michael Bay's uh, best film, which is not saying much, but <laughs> Aerosmith. Yeah, they were on the soundtrack. Don't want to miss a thing. That was everybody's, like, song back when you still made mixtapes and put them on CDs and all that jazz in high school. Gave them to your significant other. But uh, all that to say, I'm enamored by space. So when I hear that, I read up about it. I'm enamored by movies about space, whether it's Interstellar. The Martian, or just these intergalactic, like science fiction, like Star Wars, which I grew up on. I, I'm drawn to space because it's so big. It's like God, right? It seems inexhaustible. It's huge. And every time I hear something about it, it blows my mind. You start reading up about black holes. Like, it's just, it fascinates me. I'm easily enamored by it. So last week, as we're talking about our vision as a church, our opportunity as a church. I alluded to uh, what's called the Voyager space mission that NASA uh, stepped into in the 70s. And what that was, it was a mission taking advantage of a very specific opportunity back then. A, a once every 176 year opportunity to be specific. And what was happening is, is once every 176 years, the planets line up perfectly to where you could send one spacecraft out and you could use orbital assist and gravitational pull to accelerate yourself and see what was the, at that time four planets way faster than you ever could if the planets weren't lined up like that. So they wanted to take advantage of this, so they shot out what was called Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, and they would leave the solar system eventually. They realized this, that these two craft were going to go out into interstellar space, this big, vast space that we know little about. And they thought, man, if we're going to send these proverbial bottles out into the proverbial ocean, let's put a message in it. So this mission, which was <clears throat> well over $850 million, they developed it for years. They decided, all right, we're going to put $25,000 in six months into this message. And what they made was a 12-inch gold LP, a record called the Golden Record. It had 55 messages in 55 languages. It had 27 songs. It had 100 images that, if it came into contact with life out there, would tell them about us. 
So this mission now had a message. And why I shared about this last week is because we too have a message and a mission. And when these spacecraft launched off, and, and every time we look back, so often the golden record gets all the attention. Even though this was a groundbreaking mission where we learned about the, the moons around Saturn and we learned about the atmosphere and Jupiter and all these things, we're way more interested as a culture at large about what's that golden record and, and, and what if there's life out there. We get so consumed with the message, sometimes we don't even think about the mission and all the things they found. And why I shared that is because in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul presents us with our calling as the church, with our calling as City Life Church, that we have a message. It's a message of reconciliation, that we're made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And we have a mission in the next verse that we become ambassadors means we are resident representatives of God and his kingdom, and we pass on this message. And what I shared is, man, if you relish this message in your life and you repeat it over yourself, but you never relay it, then you've embraced the message, but you're forsaking your mission. We have a mission and an opportunity as a church, and we don't get another chance in 176 years. I don't know about y'all. I don't plan on living that long, right? We have but one life and one opportunity to build God's kingdom here. And just I want to share tonight about a perspective that for me, if I repeat it to myself, if I keep it in mind, it helps me keep on mission. Because we are on mission. We're like people following Christ. We're on call. Because we're on mission all the time. But sometimes it's so easy to forget, so easy to drift, just get consumed in your day to day. But this is just something I repeat to myself that what I want for me, God wants for many. This perspective in life that what I want for me, God wants for many. And I'm, let me explain because I'm not talking about the the meal you're looking forward to after church tonight. Like, I want gourmet burger bistro, but I'm not talking about the burger I want is for many. I'm not talking about uh, material things, maybe that thing you saw on an end cap at Target you're going to go back and get later. I'm not talking about those wants, but I'm talking about the deep, spiritual, eternal needs of your heart, the promises of God, the grace available in Jesus Christ, this message of reconciliation. Again, if you relish it but you never relay it, you've made it about me and not about the many it's intended for. You forsook the mission. Because this message and this mission is bigger than me, it's, it's for many. We see in sec, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, the message version, but Paul says to Timothy, he says, he wants not only us, but everyone saved. Everyone to get to know the truth we've learned, that there's one God and only one, and one priest, mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin, to set them all free. It says, eventually, the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work. His mission, right? Getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. See, Paul realized that this message and this mission is bigger than me. It's for many. That I'm a part of a story that's bigger than just my script. And how does Paul know? that? He, how could he put in Scripture? He wants. How does he know that? Well, we can go right to the Savior's mouth. In John 17, as we read in verse 21, Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, that you love them as much as you love me. 
Within this passage that we read in the greater passage in John 17, we see three aspects of Jesus' ministry that we're highlighting in in the, the vision of the church that we've written. And really, it's just what we've been doing for 12 years, but phrasing it in a new way where we're just talking about Jesus' ministry. and our ministry, we're called to call people to encounter God's presence, to embrace God's family, to engage God's mission. We see Jesus, right, God in the flesh, would invite people to encounter him to encounter God's presence, to encounter him in his power. But he didn't stop there. He encouraged people to embrace God's people, his family, the family of faith, the church, and then to engage the mission, to be disciples who make disciples, to be people who walk out this great commission that we've been given. It wasn't just, hey, come to get to know me, hang out, and then go home unchanged. No, we're called to embrace the family. We're called to engage this mission. And how many people go to church that way, though? We go, we get to know a little more about God, we maybe encounter him in worship, and then we go home. Not changed. Not engaging the mission. Now, I heard somebody say once, why, does, why are the gospels followed by acts? Because it, when you encounter the gospel, we better see some action, right? I heard him say that. And, and we're called to engage the mission, specifically the Great Commission. But in order to engage it properly and engage it well, we have to realize that it's bigger than just me. It's a bigger story. It's the gospel. We have to embrace God's people. And I brought up the Voyager mission again because when it was leaving the solar system in February of 1980, some 28 years ago, one of the scientists, Carl Sagan, he suggested that they turn the camera around and take a picture of our planet one last time from 4 billion miles away. Right? And here's the earth caught in the center of scattered light rays, and the earth is 0.12 pixel in size. We're that pale blue dot. It's crazy, right? And Carl Sagan, when he, when he showed people this for the first time, he said, this is what he said. He said, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, Every human being, whoever was, lived out their lives. Every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a space beam, sunbeam, excuse me, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in a great enveloping cosmic dark. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. So Carl Sagan, when he was saying all that, he wasn't pointing to God by any means. But when I hear that and I look at this picture, I think of Psalm 8, where it says, Your glory is higher than the heavens. And when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You know, when I think about the physical reality of the universe, it makes me feel small because I am, right? I'm on that thing and I'm tiny. But so often I want to place myself in the center of the universe when it comes to how I operate and how I think and how I approach day to day. And that couldn't be further from reality. And spiritually, this image of the universe, this idea of the big, the size of the universe, it reminds me there's something going on around me that's much bigger than me. I might not see it in day-to-day when the sun is shining, 
But every now and again, I'm reminded when I look up, man, there's something bigger than me that's going on. I'm part of something bigger than me, a bigger story. Life is bigger than me. It's not about me. There's a bigger mission, a bigger message, a bigger story that I'm a part of. But again, so often in our life, our flesh pushes to put ourselves at the center. Our, our flesh runs towards relativism. And what do I mean? I mean, at the heart of relativism is this idea that there's no one way to understand the world. There are many individual stories and experiences, but not one big story. No overarching reality, no overarching truth. There's different religions and worldviews, but none are true at all times for all people. Ironically, that statement that there is no absolute isn't absolute. (laughs) I watched Star Wars with uh, Landon yesterday. I'll get back to that later. But Obi-Wan says, only the Sith deal in absolutes. And that very statement is an absolute coming from a trustworthy character. I'm like, do you dabble in the dark side then? But anyways, that's a rabbit trail. Not for here or now, but that's the trap of relativism. Right? Downstream from relativism, we flow naturally towards radical individualism. I use the word radical because individualism is in and of itself a good thing. Individualism can point to and, and, and highlight the dignity and value that every person has. That's a biblical truth. We're created in the image of God. Each person you pass, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of what they look like, they have value, dignity, and worth. And their story has value. Their life experience has value. Uh, What they've walked through and can tell you has value. But you know, there's a a new popular phrase, uh, my truth, your truth, his truth her truth. And the intent behind it is good. The intent behind it is not malicious. But my intent isn't malicious when I tell you there's no such thing as my truth and your truth. There's truth. Truth is absolute. Truth doesn't have feelings. It's not subjective. It doesn't change uh, for each of us. It's absolute. But you know, in my generation, 83% when it was surveyed in my generation said that moral truth depends on the circumstances. And only 6% said, yeah, truth is absolute. But you know, Jesus says in this prayer that we just read in John chapter 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. How do I become holy? How do I look more like Jesus Christ? By truth. Not my truth, not uh, through how I interpret my life experiences, but through God's absolute unchanging truth. Where is his truth found? His word. Recognizing truth. Building my life around this truth, practicing the eternal values of God is what sanctifies, what makes me more like Christ, what makes you more like Christ and more holy. And it's what sets us apart as Christians and believers. You know, to look at it from another angle, this whole idea that it's bigger than me, my truth, or my story with my script. Again, I picked up Landon yesterday. Uh, Dwayne was in D.C. for work, so I brought him home for a few hours. And One thing we can agree on, Landon and I are two very different individuals. I'm old enough to be his dad, but we both love Star Wars. So I'm like, we're going to hang out for a little bit. We're going to eat. We threw the football some, but, hey, we watched Star Wars, right? And it's crazy. I'm sitting next to him. He's six years old, right? I'm thinking, man, when I was six, this was the movie I wanted to watch. My parents' first date was A New Hope. Thank you, George Lucas, right? So there's three generations that have been impacted by this movie. So for actors and for people, it was a big deal. Like when The Force Awakens came along a couple years ago, it was a big deal to people because reopening this story in this universe that multiple, three generations really, if not more, have cherished. 
So for that reason, there were multiple actors who approached the director and were like, I, I want a role, any role. It can be a cameo role, it can be an unknown role. Chief among them was Daniel Craig. Uh, he, played James, he has played James Bond for a decade. I believe he's on his way out, but he's done many James Bond films. He starred in well over 40 films, starred in them. Yeah, in Star Wars, a story that began some 40 years ago, he asked to play, and I quote, some sort of secret cameo role. <laughs> so he put on some helmet, the Stormtrooper costume, and played a role that was 100% unrecognizable, and nobody would have known about if word didn't get out and somebody didn't tell somebody. Why would he do that? Why would he put on this helmet? <laughs> because the most likely explanation for all those that volunteer for those roles is that Star Wars was such a big story in the film industry and in a couple generations that these actors happily would step into a role even if it wasn't a starring role. Let's be serious. As big as that story is, how much bigger is the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ? But again, that perspective that it's not about, or excuse me, it's not about being the star. It's about being a part of a bigger story that's bigger than me. Again, how much bigger and how much more significant and how much more, more good, better, is the good news and gospel of Jesus Christ? And again, this role and Daniel Craig's role in there, that was like trivia. You're watching on Netflix, hey, you know Daniel Craig's in this? And, no, really? Right. Everybody, that was the trivia that people would marvel at. Why? Because, again, we're a culture that pushes you, it pushes the individual toward building your platform, your profile, not playing a supporting role, but, hey, you're at the center. What's your story? What's your, your script? You know that average person takes 25,000 selfies during their lifetime. The average female, ages 16 to 30, takes three selfies a day, 16 minutes each. That's about five hours a week taking selfies. That's not even to talk about the men, right? We just don't have to put on makeup. Otherwise, it would probably be as long for us, right? But there's nothing wrong with the practice of taking a selfie. There's selfies. You go through my Instagram feed right now. What a hypocrite. Here's a selfie. Here's a selfie. There's nothing wrong with the practice of taking a selfie. But there's something problematic about this perspective that makes every event we go to, everything we walk in in life about me. We have to replace this obsession with the selfie. Again, I'm not knocking selfies, but with an appreciation for the story. Realizing that there's rich fulfillment in life when we step into a bigger story that's bigger than just me, bigger than just being a star in my own script. But again, this counters everything that our culture gives us when it boxes up relativism and radical individualism to us. Again, this idea that there are many individual stories, there's many experiences, but not one big story, not one overarching reality, not one overarching truth. So find your story, find your truth, and live it. So our Western culture, it calls us to pave the way for our platform, but our great commission, we find in the Bible, calls us to pave the way for the Lord. Now, those two aren't mutually exclusive, right? It helps when you're paving the way for the Lord to have a platform. For instance, we look at John the Baptist. He had a platform. It was a weird platform because he lived in the desert, ate locusts, and people would go to see him kind of because he was a little off or seemingly off. But it says in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist is talking. He says, Jesus is the main character in this drama. Compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand. See, we're the light of the world. We're not meant to be hidden. We're not meant to be uh, put away or covered up. We're called to play our role, but our role is that of a spotlight. We point to Jesus. We don't 
seek the attention. We actually point people's attention and the glory and the praise to Jesus Christ and to God. The question is, what do you do with your spotlight? Because if we get it twisted and forget where we're intended to point the glory and the attention, we can end up like the spotlights at the county fair or the car dealership. We just kind of wave it around trying to get people's attention, right? That can become us when our spotlight is meant to point to Jesus Christ as we are the light of the world. There's a, a, a hip-hop artist named Propaganda. Ask Roger Sharp about him one time, but he says, I don't desire a spotlight. I'm trying to be one that lights up the king one. Again, we're spotlights, but God is center stage. We're meant to direct the attention and the glory to him. Do we live to be the star? Do we live to be and push our way to the center? Do we realize, man, there's a bigger story that I get the honor and privilege to be a part of that's bigger than just me? Because it's better to participate in a larger cause and more significant story, regardless of who gets the credit, regardless of who gets famous, than to be the star of a small insignificant story or less significant story. So what does that look like for us? (laughs) Maybe you're thinking, cool, enough Star Wars already. How does this apply to me? Well, it doesn't tie us to a long, uh, 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 excuse me, I almost messed it up, right, to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But what this does all tie us to is what's happening all over the globe right now, even far away. Our idea of the church can sometimes become so small. Or our picture of the church, you know, if we think of the church as four walls, that we walk into for about 90 minutes on a weekend, and that becomes our picture of the church. But the church is so much bigger. That's why I love doing the joint service, even if it was for one week, because it reminds us, hey, city life is, is two campuses, but it's one church. And even city life is one church among many. We're all on the same team. We're all building the same kingdom. I pray for other pastors. I pray for their churches because we're all working to build God's kingdom. We're all a part of the global church that's way bigger than us. It's bigger than even City Life's story that we get to be a part of here in this region as we build God's kingdom. And I just want to do a, a visual, a little visual exercise here. And we'll just look at pictures of the global church here in Rwanda. As long as my clicker keeps working. Dustin, back me up just in case this doesn't work. Yep, there's Rwanda. You know, after neighbors had killed one another in the 1994 genocide, they now worship together through faith-based reconciliation services and programs. This is in Romania. It's a mother and daughter worshiping together at a monastery. This is in Africa, a rosemary, an eight-year-old sponsored child singing praise with her church's youth choir in Zambia. This is Ethiopian youth dancing as they worship at a church in Ethiopia. This is a Methodist church congregation in a small village in Cambodia. And this is a worship service in Lebanon where tradition holds that Peter and Paul met there to discuss taking the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a woman named Josephine who takes care of her orphan grandchildren. She worships at this Christian fellowship in Uganda. These are Bolivian mothers and grandmothers worshiping at the Church of God in in Bolivia. And this here is a child sneaking a prayer, excuse me, child sneaking a peek in prayer, because that's what we all do from time to time, especially as kids, at an Anglican church service in Burundi, if I said that right. And then lastly, this is kids from the village in Laguasara during VBS, during prayer. It's awesome, because I can tell you the name of each person in that picture. Annabelle is the one whose shoulders just barely in there. That's uh, Adahai praying, and that's Saul paying no attention, just chewing on his nails, as he always does. What's crazy is we've been ministering there since Saul was two. He's five now. We go back every year, and imagine seeing your kid once a year, how much they grow. It's it's remarkable. All those sponsorship packets out there are children. We minister to at VBS. They're children that go to school in that village or the neighboring village that 
we help with medicine. We help with building latrines in their village, help pay for their schooling, help uh, provide food for their families. Man, those, again, those aren't just pictures. Those are children. It's powerful. You look at that picture and know the names. But I share these pictures because hopefully they're an inspiring reminder that we're a part of something that's bigger, that's more meaningful and lasting than what we just see every day. I mean, I shouldn't say more meaningful and lasting, but, man, there's something going on every day that we don't see that we're a part of, and it's the global church. You know, our story is tied to every person and every picture we just saw. The end of our stories in eternity will spend our time, as it says in Revelation 7, 9, 10, John has this vision of heaven. He says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great war, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. That's the people in photos from Rwanda, Cambodia, Ethiopia, Romania, as much as they're uh, position on the globe may seem like a, a galaxy far, far away. Man, our future and our story, it's tied to theirs. We're part of something much bigger than me, much bigger than these four walls, much bigger than even this region and what God is doing in this region. He's doing something globally. And you know, if I'm honest, when we read the Great Commission, right, go out into all the world and make disciples, right, and you reach everybody, reach the whole globe, you read that as an individual. Like, man, that's it's a pretty big bite to chew. Like, how am I even going to tackle that? How, is that? how do I even start to do that? But then you realize it's not just about the individual. We're part of God's family. We're part of a story that's bigger than us. We're a part of a global church. And, man, if, if every person, every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ just took care of their world, their circle of influence, imagine how much we would, the big bite we take out of the world just there. If every believer, every follower of Christ just reached their region where God had placed them, where they were rooted and called to bear fruit and walk out the Great Commission, man, the church would take over. But it starts by embracing God's people, realizing that, yeah, that might sound impossible by ourselves, but we're not called to do it as individuals. We're called to do it as a church, both here. We're more effective in Suffolk and Carrollton and Smithfield and Portsmouth and this side of Norfolk because we do it together. And then the global church as well, we're able to do so much because we're a part of something that's so big. We're called to embrace God's people. And you know, throughout the New Testament, when, when the word church is used for the church, outside of a couple instances where it's talking about uh, the church throughout history, almost every other instance is talking about a local body of believers. You know, there are so many benefits to this local body of believers for the follower of Christ, but I just want to highlight two tonight. I just want to highlight two, could do a whole series on this going through the summer. I just want to highlight two tonight. The first is that we get to embrace our brothers and sisters. We embrace our brother, we embrace our sister. In terms of this vision that we've written, it's, it's really embracing God's people. But you begin to read scripture and it, it's the family of faith. It's the body of Christ. It's us that are called to do life together. All these one another's in the New Testament, do this with one another. Doing it in the local congregation of the church. There's a bigger story. There's a bigger family. And it's God's people. Again, you read the Great Commission. It says to go out and make disciples and to teach and to reach the world. And within the Great Commission, it says to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, why is baptism given the same prominence as reaching the world and evangelism and teaching? Well, baptism 
symbolizes and celebrates not only your identifying with Christ's death and resurrection and stepping into that new life as a new creation, but it also identifies us publicly with his people. Stepping through the door that's held open by Jesus Christ into the home and the family of faith that we find in the church. See, we aren't called to solely encounter God and engage in his mission as renegades on a solo mission. We're called to embrace God's people, the family of faith, our brothers and sisters. And baptism symbolizes this step. It says in the book of Hebrews, <laughs> both those say Ephesians, but in Hebrews 2.10, It says, God is the one who made all things, and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children to share his glory. You say, many children. You know, that verse we all had to memorize in grade school. It says, God gave his one and only son. What do you mean many children, right? Well, it says in Ephesians 1.5, we got there. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And I love that it doesn't stop there. Because it could be that this is God, the creator, out of his duty and due diligence, just trying to restore the people he created. But no, he shows us the heart of a father. He says this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. See, God sent his only son so he wouldn't be an only child. We get to become the children of God through Jesus Christ, meaning we don't have to live as only children. Or worse, we don't have to live as spiritually orphaned all on our own. We get to become a part of the family of faith, his church, this church, and the global church. Again, we live in a culture of radical individualism, but the culture of the kingdom is one where we are adopted into a family and something that's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. God's vision is bigger than seeing a bunch of individuals saved to live individual scripts. Salvation may happen in the individual, but the call and the purposes and the mission is relational. You know, speaking to new believers in Ephesians 2.19, Paul says, you belong in God's household with every other Christian. We don't have to live spiritually homeless. We don't have to live disconnected lives and solitary stories, spiritually orphaned. We get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, and it's an, it's an honor. It's a calling that blesses us. But if we're going to do that, step into the one another's within the church and what we're called to do within the church, it's going to take more than just 90 minutes on a weekend. I hope for you this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to seeing these faces and investing in relationship. I hope you find your way into life groups. I hope you find your way to coffee tables with somebody in here who you just met to get to know them and do life together and do, again, those one another's together. Because teaching is great. What happens here tonight is great. Singing together is great. Worshiping is great. Teaching is a part of the Great Commission, and we see it in Acts. But doctrinal belief and being able to share our faith or parrot what we heard in a sermon or a podcast that It's not what's going to change the world. It says in John 17, it's the perfect unity found in the family of faith. This idea of being unified in something that's bigger than just me, that's going to show the world that Jesus Christ was sent and glorify him. So again, I hope you do find your way into life groups. And there's some that are pretty wide open. Like Anthony and his crew, they do a devotional and they play a bunch of games. I think you're all playing what, uh, Pictionary this weekend? And just a fair warning, city life is competitive. If you win, be ready to gloat. If you lose, bring tissues. You're going you're gonna to hear about it. <laughs> hopefully you're not, hopefully you uh, got thick skin. Hope that doesn't uh, help have any of you say, well, I'm not going to that one. And if you do say that, <laughs> my wife and I, we're just going through Galatians. We're not going through a 300-page book that you have to catch up on. Galatians is a couple pages. We're just doing a chapter a week. This week, chapter three, Tuesday nights. Just let me know you're coming because, man, we've packed out our house, man. <laughs> we got to make sure we have enough seats. It's funny because... We were hosting a life group last January when we got the call that we weren't leaving in some six weeks to go to India. We were leaving in 10 days. 
So like told everybody in the life group, hey guys, sorry, basically this life group is canceled. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, we're going to get our son that we've been waiting four years for, right? So we, we haven't hosted a life group since last year this time, and I realized how much I missed it. Like having people in my home, doing life together, talking about life, talking about God's word, hearing experiences. I didn't know this about you. I didn't know this about her or him, and just sharing how we see God's word, right, his truth. But it's funny Raj has never seen more than, like, two people in the house at one time. We've had couples over, even couples with kids, so maybe a half dozen. But, right, the first night of life group, Steph had just changed the diaper upstairs. And as she was doing that, like, everybody showed up. So there's, like, 20 people in our living room, kids playing with his toys, right, adults talking. It's loud in there. And Raj, because he walks like this, he walks in like And then he stops at the doorway and kind of. He's like, did anybody see me? And I had to go over and, and pick him up and like, hey, man, this is it's okay. Because he's like, oh, what just happened? He's been here for a year. It's the first time he experienced anything like that. Because for Raj, it's totally new. But for some of us, we might feel like that. You walk into a room full of people just ready to do life together. And it's like, eh, did they see me? Can I, can I get out of here? Can I exit? Can I flee? Because for many of us, we might be introverts, right, just by nature, or maybe we're people that have been hurt in relationships in, in other groups or in other churches, and we may respond like Raj initially. You show up and you're like, hey, all right. <laughs> you know, there's an anonymous quote from a long time ago. It says, to dwell in love with saints above, why, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints, I know, well, that's a different story. See, we so often go to church, but we don't want to be the church because it gets messy. We had to step out of our comfort zone. So we encounter God's presence, but we pump the brakes after that. Because, again, it's so much easier to worry about me, myself, and I, and not have to worry about stepping out of my comfort zone, not having to worry about uh, talking to people <laughs> about God's word, about our faith. Last Star Wars analogy, I promise. Han Solo, right, he's a man who lived defined by his last name. Sure, he had a co-pilot at the beginning, but for the most part, up to that point, he had just been a, a self-determining part of uh, He's just doing him. Not really doing a good job because he was on the run for his life, right, as we meet him. But then he becomes a part of something that was bigger than him. And we see him go from a loner to this leader that was leaving a legacy. And I say that because we, too, are called to a lifestyle that embraces something bigger. A movement that's bigger, a faith that's bigger, a story that's bigger, an impact that's bigger than we can ever do on our own. A lifestyle that's disconnected or solo, we're called to something bigger. Because, man, when you do life thinking there's no greater story or truth, but you're simply paving your own path and making your own platform and operating from your own script, life becomes about achievements and the acquisition of these status or, or things. And so, so often in our culture, we talk about relationships like I have to find time for my children or I got to make time for the people in my lives. When you realize that there's a story and, and something that's bigger than you, you begin to live life like it. You begin to embrace God's people and people in general. You begin to realize that what really matters in life is the eternal investment and even withdrawals that you make in relationships, people that God has placed in your life. So here's the thing. Your possessions, the things you own, they're not going to fill the pews at your funeral. The people that you did life with, that you invested in relationship with, that you had relationship with, they'll be there. Those, those relationships that were made in love. 
You know, embracing God's people, again, it, it moves us away from this self-centeredness that we so often kind of mask with this idea of individualism. Embracing God's people, it helps you move down this path of sanctification. Again, we're called in the New Testament to look more like Christ, and we do it by doing all these one another's together, but you can't do that on your own. And lastly, we'll look at it next week, embracing God's people. It helps us keep on mission. Because, again, we do live life on call. We have this mission, this great commission to do as the church, and it's more effective when we do it together. And one way we do this as a family united at City Life is we don't just em- embrace our brothers and sisters. We invest our blessings. You know, the Bible says in the book of James that every good and perfect gift, it comes from above. And when you experience all God gives you, we want to pay it back in some way, especially if, like, gift-giving is our love language, that, man, what can I give back to God? He's the God who has everything. But we can't, and and nor should we, because truly we have nothing to offer God, but we have everything to offer our neighbor and the people around us through God. Truly we have nothing to offer God, but we have everything to offer the people God has placed around us in and through God. That's why God doesn't ask us to pay it back. He, He asks us to pay it forward. Again, what we want for me, God wants for many. And our greatest gift to him is to share what we've received, share what we have, the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you'd say, well, what about our tithes? Isn't that like giving back to God? Well, yeah, but we don't take those back into that room and then like beam them up to heaven. Uh, that's, what, that's what funds our ministry. That's how we operate. That's how we have the impact we have here in the 757 and globally says in the John's third epistle, he's talking about missionaries when he says we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. If you woke up to follow Jesus this morning, the question isn't whether you'll help spread the kingdom of God globally, but how. And a church that isn't engaged in the cause of Christ around the world, it's not a church in the biblical sense. It's why we have what we call faith promise. Maybe you got one of these walking in, you're looking at it like, what on earth is this? If you've only been coming to our church for less than a year, but every February we talk about faith promise. It's really missions giving, both global and local. So maybe you guys were here December, I believe it was 2nd, when Toby Cavanaugh came, this missionary that we help uh, do ministry in China amongst college students. That sermon was powerful. Testimonies, miracles, just Stories of God's goodness as he's done ministry there in China. This is how we help him. This is how we bless him. We got other missionaries we help in Turkey. There's mission trips to Haiti that we help uh, fund. And then there's the mission trips to the Dominican Republic that we're a part of. We're taking our fifth one this summer, again, at the end of June into July. And these mission trips are where we've built over a dozen latrines. We've built a water filtration system for those precious kids in that village. Every time we go, we do house visits, and there's a half dozen people who can't even come outside because they're just so sick from the water. So we were able to, uh, last time we, we left there, the water filtration system was being completed. It's since been completed. And we're working towards building an irrigation system for that village there to bless those people that hike four hours to get to the fields where they grow coffee so they can do stuff local and they can grow more things than just the stuff they grow now all of the above, we're able to be a part of globally through this missions giving card. Tens of thousands of dollars has been given over the years to, to fund missions that's done in the global church. And why do we do it? <laughs> There's this quote I've shared here before because I love it. It's by Louis Palau. He says, the church is like manure. Pile it together and it stinks up the neighborhood, but spread it out, it enriches the world. <laughs> we want to spread out our impact, enrich the world. 
You look at Martin Luther King Jr. He enriched the world. He certainly enriched our culture. Our nation just celebrated the annual holiday in his name. And he led a movement. His life was one that was lived on mission, fully engaged. But it's important to remember, before he was an activist on mission, he was a pastor at a church. He was a preacher. Every year on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, MLK Day, it's easier to say, I I try to listen to or read something that I haven't heard or read from him. And this year I just podcasted. It's crazy technology. Podcasted some sermon from the 60s on YouTube, just recorded. Before he became this activist, although he was a lifelong activist, he was also a pastor of a church, and he confessed that it's God's word and the church that gave him the strength for the mission. You know, he once said, though, life's most persistent and urgent question is this, what are you doing for others? Again, he realized the message and the mission is, is bigger than me, it's for many. What I often relish and and cherish, for me, it's for many. We aren't called to be holy hermits. What are we doing for others? And City Life, hopefully, will provide many avenues to where we can have an impact on others, whether it's through Micah's backpack and filling up that grocery card or, or, or through College Square. Thank you. I always say College Park. I don't know why. Through those ministries, but also globally. Because we're a part of a bigger story than even just right here in Hampton Roads. So each one of us got one of these coming in. And we could have shared about this during the offering, but I didn't want to because this is, this is something separate than your regular tithe and offering. We call it faith promise. And, and the promise speaks to, well, excuse me, let's start with the faith. The faith speaks to, man, you pray. Steph and I pray every year, God, what would you want us to give? Uh, a, a, usually a large amount that we just have faith that, man, through some crazy way, God is going to orchestrate this. It's money we don't anticipate coming in. If it happens, it's because of faith, and it's because of God's goodness and his faithfulness. It's crazy. Ask me afterwards the stories that have happened through faith promise. People just like, I'm going to give X amount, and then something happens at their job, or something happens with insurance, or something happens with taxes, where they just get the same amount they pledged, and the, and the promise is that you give it towards missions. But we've also started just this monthly commitment to give to the church globally. And some of you may think, oh, I already tithe, I already give offerings. But, man, we have an opportunity to be a part of something bigger, a bigger story, a bigger impact. And it could be $2. It could be $200. It could be $5. Whatever. It could be 50 cents. <laughs> whatever. But, again, what are we doing for others? If I could have the worship team come up. We started with the asteroid. (laughs) Again, the asteroid, it would have rocked an entire city, pun intended. (laughs) And as the church, we're called to do that here in the city that God has placed us. But again, if it were to hit a city, it wouldn't have just impacted that city. We as the church, we're called to have a global impact, changing the atmosphere all over the globe. Again, the mission, the message, it's intended for more than us. And the bigger story, it's called to impact the globe. We have the honor of being a part of the church and a church that can step into that opportunity together. Again, God is good, but he ties us to something bigger. And we can change the atmosphere around the globe as we pick up this call to be ambassadors. But again, as I shared last week, it starts with this atmosphere, this atmosphere. If you're an ambassador... You're a resident representative of somewhere else that you came from. And as I said last week, you're going to be a crummy ambassador 
if you've never been there, if you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you don't know the heart of the president or king that you're representing, man, let us be people that, man, before we go out to change the atmosphere out there, we prioritize God's presence and the atmosphere in here. So if, we, I, could, if I could have everybody stand, we're going to go into worship. We're going to sing oceans again. But Jesus, I pray, God, that as we see this globe tonight, just sitting on this podium throughout this entire sermon, you would remind us, God, that we're a part of something bigger. As we saw that picture where the earth is 0.12 pixel large, <laughs> in the middle of a vast universe, God, that that wouldn't make us feel worthless or insignificant, but it would remind us that, man, what is man that you are mindful of him? Well, give us humility. And God, we would realize the honor, the privilege it is to serve you and give back by paying it forward. Both here, as we do the work you've planted us to do here in Suffolk, as you've rooted us in Suffolk, and our roots go out to Carrollton and Smithfield, our roots go out to Portsmouth and Chesapeake and Norfolk. Lord God, help us to be a people that is faithful. Help us to be a people that lives on mission, on call, doesn't check out from Sunday to Friday, but realizes truly the mission and the ministry begins when we go to that workplace, when we go to that schoolyard, when we go to wherever you've planted us, we're called to be those ambassadors, those resident representatives through the week. God, we want to see you glorified, not just here on the weekend. We want to see you glorified in our region. We want to see revival, Lord God, but we know it starts, it starts with us. It starts with our hearts, our minds, the atmosphere of our spirit before we go and change the atmosphere out there. And Lord God, we know that it will be so much easier to live a life that's concerned with me, myself, and I. My problems, my issues, man, that's big enough. And that will be easier. And when you call us out to, to, to walk in your purposes and build your kingdom, sometimes it does feel like uh, we're stepping out of our comfort zone. It's where, as this song says, our trust is without borders. But God, I pray we would have the faith, God, as we sang earlier, God, give us faith. Let faith arise. Let us realize the opportunity we have as a church and let us lay hold of it while it's coming at us and not lament us when it's past us, Lord God. But we know, Jesus, that it, it's going to take you being Lord, you being the focus of our lives. So, Jesus, we worship you tonight. We close in worship to glorify you, to enthrone you again, to praise you again. God, shift our perspectives, align our lives with your word and the realities we talked about tonight. Plant your word like a seed in our hearts so it can bear fruit this week, this month, and forevermore. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.